Still in domestic violence month. We are. It's October 24th, 2018. Um, Today's episode, we are joined by speaker, author, mentor, influencer, and advocate, Tanya McKenzie. And let me just start by saying, this woman's story is incredible. Mind-blowing. Yeah, pin drops. Pin drops. Mouse peeing on cotton. And you can hear <laughs> the mouse peeing on cotton. Because tinkle, it's real. Tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. <laughs> yeah, book yeah. is real. So um, we are discussing uh, her story of surviving PTSD and just surviving, period. Yes. She's been through a lot. Her and childhood. She survived God. her childhood. Do you hear what I'm saying? And if y'all listen to season one, mm. you know how we survived our childhoods. And it was a, uh, it was mm-hmm. harrowing to say the least to be that transparent and vulnerable. It takes a lot of guts to be snotting and crying on the mic. Yeah. Raw. Um, yes. Very raw. Um, the name of her book is A Child's Memories of Cartoons and Murder. Now, Tanya reached out to us. Oh my gosh, over mm. the summer? She did. I think it was a while ago. And first of all, we're honored always and humbled that she found us. Little old us in Chicago. Just trying to survive our childhood, our Chicago experiences of going to work on the number two and survive these winters, okay? Sounding <laughs> <laughs> <Stop> them sidewalks, slipping slat. And I remember reading her email to us, and I remember it saying, um, we have a, uh, I have a story to tell. That was in like her first intro. And, and she, and I was just like, this was the first time we were receiving guests like that. So we really It was like sure. a wave. I was like, do it we have a like wave. a vacancy? Like, you know, Bates Motel <laughs> vacancy? Like, no, seriously. And I yeah. was like, wow, these people are like yeah. reaching out to us. And it's a blessing to just surrender to what we have been called to do. And we yeah. are here to present her and others like her to share their stories yeah of brown women transcending yeah. transcending and this, transforming in the this process was, this was my morning read mm. um mm. to work every morning and I, it almost wow. gave me like a like you got this like you can overcome selling the deal anything yes anything i can do anything <laughs> yeah no you can really this book does have that whole vibe yeah it does so we're gonna read her bio um but as you know um become she.com brown woman corner page will have her bio the answer to the questions that we ask all of our mm-hmm. um brown women participants 
and yeah we'll just we'll just get to it you want me to read it you want to read it i don't, read it. I don't mind reading okay so let's get into it tanya mckenzie has more than 20 years of public speaking experience at schools of higher education local politics corporate training and leadership and community relations tanya started early in her career with campaign speeches to run and be elected to an associated student directorship position at csun and president of her chapter of zeta phi beta sorority as an associated executive director at the mount diablo region of ymca Tonya co-authored the Fit Kids Manual for the Contra Costa Health Services, was elected to the Oakley Chamber of Commerce as a director, appointed and served on the Youth Council for Contra Costa County Supervisor Federal Glover, emceed events for Contra Costa County's Supervisor Mary Piefo, and moderated political discussions for past Oakley California Mayor Brad Nix. Come on, Tonya. That's Come a lot. On. Let oh. me pause and take that in. You can find Tanya McKenzie highlighted in the pages of Amazing Moms, Parents of the 21st Century. She authored a memoir titled A Childhood Memories of Cartoons and Murder. This well-crafted book covers an unthinkable act of violence that Tonya witnessed as a small child and the incredible story of her resilience that guided her through various other mm. episodes of violence and chaos throughout her young life. Yeah. She covers topics that she passionately speaks about, non-combat PTSD, predatory behavior, generational dysfunction, and domestic mm. violence. Tanya advocates for the empowerment of women, the future of our children, and disadvantaged youth. She is also the founder and principal public relations consultant of Sand and Shores PR firm in Los Angeles, California. Man. We're going to provide all of her links for you so that you can definitely follow up with her and get in tune with her movement. She is definitely a busy lady, entrepreneur, mom. And she has such a sweet Mover voice. Mover and shaker. Yes, she we does. We talked to her a little bit before we started recording. And I just I just can't wait for you guys to meet her. Our audience to meet her. She just... I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, we're going to give her a call. Yeah. Okay. And get ready, y'all. Because this this book right here... Please go to becomeshe.com and go to the link and purchase Cop this book. book. Because this... Talk about resilience. Brown I don't know what just, to call her. Resilient is like not a big enough word. She may need more than one word. You yeah. know what I mean? Several. Several adjectives. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning again. <laughs> hey, girl. How you guys doing? How are you doing? We just read your incredible bio, and we're just still taking that in. Mm-hmm. You haven't even gotten into your story yet. Mm-hmm. It can be a lot. It can be a lot. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> First of all, this is Jess. Thank you so, so much for reaching out to us. And I know we've said that in email, but seriously, thank you yeah. for even sharing yeah. your story with us. We really appreciate it because your story, I read it cover to cover, yeah, page to that's page, for sure. epilogue to bio at the end. And I was like, yo. And you still want to talk to me? Oh of my course God. we do. No. Of, course of course we do. We have been transformed by reading the book. So Girl. we know 
that our listeners, all of them, will be. And thank you for your beautiful notes on the on that you wrote to us in the book too. You did. Thank you. Very and your handwriting is beautiful. She's beautiful. You are a beautiful. You guys woman. are amazing. <laughs> yes. What you guys are doing is amazing, Aww. not just for uh, me and the listeners, but even people that have not um, gotten connected to you yet. Just to know that there are amazing women of color out there doing for us. Um, by us wow. and allowing us to be able to tell our story. So no, thank you. Girl, you Right, we ain't even really got to the deep parts yet. You tearing <laughs> up? <laughs> Slow down, Tanya. Slow down. So well, I'm here for it. I'm okay. here for it. So first of all, just we don't want to get too deep just yet. Give us like your motivations as to why you felt you were called to write this book. To, right to begin with. Well, throughout my life. And many of us in the African-American or even Hispanic community, mm-hmm. one thing I know for sure is we've always been told what happens in the family stays in the family. Mm-hmm. Don't be talking about family business. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens at the house stays at the house. Family secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I started learning throughout my adult life is that these secrets can be painful. They can be hurtful. And when you sit and hold them in mm-hmm. and they, they fester and they grow, like mold, mm-hmm. right? And it ruins everything. Yeah. So I wrote this book because I used to coach. Um, I've coached in high school, middle school, and a lot of the girls that I dealt with, mm-hmm. you could tell with their behavior that some things had gone on, right? Yeah. But spending time with them and really not giving up on them and working with them, you realize they're not bad kids. They just mm-hmm. have had some bad things go on. Yep. And by me not being open about my truth and my experience, I am perpetuating that keep a secret legacy. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to end that and let them know I do understand because I have been through some things. Mm-hmm. And it's not you. It's really not you. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to go to page nine. <laughs> I, was an English, I was an English literature major in college. And I like the fact that you talk about, like, your entire life and your college Start years. to finish. Yes. You are very, very uh, comprehensive in your scope and talking about your life. So... I'm going to go to page nine. It says, my earliest memories are burned in my mind like a cattle brand, sure to go to the grave with me. They may fade a bit with time, but never go away. Please unpack that because that stuck out even before I got deep into the book. There's a couple of pieces to that. One, as I grew up, I used to talk to people about their earliest memories, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes people would say, oh, you can't, you can't remember back that far. You mm-hmm. tell them something that went on it. You can't remember back that mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. So I continue to ask and get different answers. And some people did have amazing answers like, oh, my first Disneyland trip or mm-hmm. some amazing birthday where a pony showed up. But then it was mm-hmm. when someone passed away or when my parents got a divorce and that mm-hmm. changed their life, no matter how young it is. So I started realizing that it's not... Uh, it's not a general thing. It's really something that is impactful. Yep. And it never leaves you, yeah. right? Yeah. It never goes away. The second part of that, while I use that analogy, is I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, and I actually did get branded. And okay. some people with their brands, many in the Greek community will know, some people's brands, they keloid, and they get big and ugly. Mm-hmm. And some People's brands, they just lay there and they stay the same for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And depending on where you got it at, it could stretch, it could, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. creep, get wrinkly. And mine actually stayed the same. It just started to get lighter 
and fade, mm-hmm. but it will never go away. It, it's a scar that will never fade. Got it will it. never go away completely. So it doesn't really matter what happens. It could get bigger, just like in any mental health issue. If you don't deal with it, mm-hmm. it can get bigger and yeah. get uglier. Or you can go ahead and understand that this is something that you live with. How am I going to live with it? Mm-hmm. How do I process mm-hmm. it? It's always there because it becomes a part of you, but it really matters how you deal with this mark, this this sore, this, uh-huh. um, you know, this brand. And That's mine just a- seems to be getting a little lighter. That is amazing. I didn't realize how layered. Thank you for unpacking that because it just stuck out in my mind, but I didn't know it had so much layers. So many layers to it. Have you, have you seen a brand? Have you seen like Omegas? I have. I have. Yeah. I have. And shout out to Zeta Five. Like on a brand. Shout out to Zeta Five. But I know some amazing women. Um, some some. Yes, marvelous <laughs> Zeta Five Beta sorority members. So shout out to them and you. Um, and thank what? you for unpacking that. There is something that. Well, all of it, all of the stories stuck out to me in the book. And maybe our listeners don't really know the story yet. And I don't know if we should get into it first before I get to my next thought, because there's something you said at the end of the book that has stuck with me, but I feel like we need to unpack the story first before we get to why you said that at the end. So let's, let's talk about your mom seemed like and I'm look. I remember looking at the pictures in the book. Throughout the book, people she has pictures of her family, Beautiful. of her childhood, which I really appreciated because it yes. gave it such a visual to why you were saying certain things you were saying. But your mom seemed to have such like a light yes. about her. Yes. Like she liked to party, but you could tell she liked to have fun and and be free. Mm-hmm. Is, am I mm-hmm. getting that sense right? You are. And she had such a big heart. People always wanted to be around her. You can they tell. Just, yeah. You can definitely let me, let me back up and I'll, I'll let me explain one of the one of the most significant lessons that my mother taught me mm-hmm. was that with humans, one, you are never going to change them. Right. So mm-hmm. we have to <clears throat> accept people for who they are or we leave them alone. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed in her life, that was her lesson to me. So I watched her. And what I noticed in her life is she was surrounded by various different types of people and she loved them regardless and I used to wonder how what kind of heart did you have were you just loving on everybody Mm. Mm. it's actually something to aspire to yeah Yeah. because we do find ourselves even now in our early adulthood in a situation where we decide I ain't dealing with that I don't need that kind of baggage around me Mm -hmm. I don't need that negativity but I think her, yeah. um, her thought process always and her heart always allowed her to love openly and without judgment, even if it was something that she didn't want to be a part of. As a human, mm-hmm. she just loved them. And that energy was always reflected back in her. People loved being around her. She was very jovial, mm-hmm. open-hearted, yeah. giving, would give her laughs even when she didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a, a lesson in life. And it, it, it gleamed off of her. I mean, and even the, the love for, the love for her family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
And I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty to say, hey, you did me wrong. You did whoever I think wrong. I don't want nothing to do with you. You're dead to me. Like, that's Jess's attitude. And that, whether that's good or bad, I don't know yet. It just is. <laughs> that's just how I am. Yeah. And, and hers was unconditional. Yeah. And I, even now, do not understand that. Wow. Yeah. So I think that's always a place where, and, and you know, we, we always say, what would Jesus do? Sometimes I'd be like, what would my mama do? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. And she left you a lesson. Like, she, her whole life was yeah, a lesson. she left you a very, very big lesson of unconditional love. I don't know love. if I'll ever be able to measure up to that. Yeah. But um, truth be told, it is something that I guess we could all learn from mm-hmm. and try to find a way to do better by people, by our people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But just an unconditional love that I've never really seen from anybody else. We all have conditions, right? We have those red lines. We have those deal breakers. Right. And she just never did. So she I, never did. that begs the question because I wanted to ask, do you think the way in which she showed unconditional love is that was that a lack of boundaries? And mm. because I'm, re- I'm reading your book, I'm like, you're very precocious. Like, from your earliest of ages, you saw the scheme, you saw the minefield, you knew where to walk, where not to walk, how to walk around the mines. It was just crazy how precocious you were and how sound your mind was and how discerning you were for such a young age. Do you think that your mother lacked boundaries? You know, or do you think, because I see in you so many boundaries that you may be calling conditions or conditional love. Right. Is that, you know, I I don't know. This is a real question. Like, I don't know the answer to it. Do you think that the unconditional love we're terming unconditional is really love without boundaries? boundaries? Yeah. That's a really good question. That's actually a great way to sum it up. um, Love without boundaries. And maybe that is a disability that many of us have have come to adapt. Um, And I have to say that because one thing I also learned about myself and many of us Mm -hmm. is that we want more for people than they want for themselves sometimes, Mm, right? So the people that we love, we want to see them Mm. happy. We want to see them um, appreciated. Mm -hmm. We want to see them showered with the love that we feel that they deserve or the rewards of this world that we mm-hmm. we believe that mm-hmm. their hard work gives them. So when I, she's very transparent. My mother was very transparent uh, around us because she had so much going on. I, I think she almost figured there's no reason to try to sugarcoat yeah. any of this stuff. Let yeah, them yeah. learn this lesson and, and make decisions on their own. But with her being so transparent, I was able to see a lot of things that I just did not like. And with that, building that, coat of armor in deciding I don't want this for myself and hey I don't want that for my mother or I don't want that for my brother mm-hmm. or why would someone treat a person like that that I love or she works really hard she should be getting these types of rewards we have friends like that where you see that they're always Come trying on to with do the right thing and they're loving on people mm-hmm. and they get betrayal in return yeah. they get abuse in return mm-hmm. they get thievery in return and mm-hmm. you're trying to tell them hey you should stop being friends with that person. They're not loyal. So is it us with the problem that we are perpetuating what our desires are onto them? Mm, yeah. Or is it Projecting. them by yeah. being what we would call naive or vulnerable or gullible and allowing these things to happen? It's a hard balance, 
And I think watching what I watched as a young mm-hmm. child conditioned mm-hmm. me to have boundaries based on what I wanted to see considered happiness placed onto other people yeah. that I loved. Yeah. But my, what I also learned is that what, what makes me happy doesn't necessarily make the next person happy. So it's actually something that many of us are learning to understand that my happiness and my joy is not that person's happiness and that person's joy. So whatever else they may be getting um, reciprocated from whatever relationship or situation, we can't really uh, judge what that is, what that happiness looks like. And it's a hard place because we always want the people that we love mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. be loved and appreciated in return. Yes. Yes. I read the four agreements earlier this year. Um, the four agreements, the, the book and one of the four agreements that I try to practice every day and it's a struggle every day is to not take things personally. Um, which sounds so simple, but it's, it's, it's really not. So when you, when you say we want the best for people and I, I, I sometimes feel like sometimes you want the best for people so bad that you begin to take it personal when you think they're mm-hmm. not having living their best selves. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes mm-hmm. a reflection on you. And there has to be, in my opinion, a little boundary between that. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, like, I love you and I love you from a distance, but I can't have your struggle and your story become mine by trying to elevate you. Ooh. Does that make sense? Right. And yep, I, absolutely. Yeah, and you and you and that's why I love this book so much because I don't want to tell too many details because I definitely want people to go out and read it. Right. But I still want to talk about relevant points. This is what I love about this book so much is that you were able to not only profile each of your family members yes. in a very um, kind of deductive kind of way for us, mm-hmm. but you were able to then move accordingly from a young age. And I'm like, look at this G. She was a G at the age of four. I don't even remember half the stuff that happened in my life at four. Right. You making money moves, okay? You're yeah, dodging. You're curving. They were making moves. Yes, oh my ma'am. goodness. They were making moves. My goodness. And I, and I, I, think, mm-hmm. I think that a part of that, too, and the reason, the other reason that I wrote the book is because they were making moves in front of kids, wow. in front of youth. Yeah. not recognizing what those moves were going to do to a young mind. My God. And you, let me read on page, because I'm, I'm jumping pages, Tanya. I'm not playing with you today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> page 39. And you said, <laughs> now I was back at my grandma lady's house and sitting on the couch with Lloyd. There was strangeness between us. Did you tell Uncle Bryce that Ralph was at our house? I asked Lloyd in the most straightforward way. Though I wasn't sure what made me ask him, I felt there was a connection between what had just happened and the phone call I had with Lloyd the previous night. Mm. He wouldn't respond and just stared at me. I went into the kitchen with my grandmother. Why didn't you call me back last night? I asked her. I didn't know that you called, she answered. I was not quite five years old yet i already understood what being used felt like my god drops book yeah you were having these conversations directly and you were not quite five years oh tanya how does that feel hearing your words that you wrote read back to you 
it's a little scary wow. uh, when you think about it. Because if I had a four-year-old standing mm-hmm. in front of me right now right. asking me those questions, mm-hmm. I would probably be speechless also. What do you say to a four-year-old? You just stare back like Lloyd did. You don't say nothing. You look yeah. around. Yeah. yeah. One of the things about him, though, and I did talk about it in the book, is that he was a he was a lurker, mm. he was a starer. So he knew who he was dealing with at the time. They used to tell me all the time, "You were, you were a very smart kid." I taught myself how to tie my shoes. I taught myself how to read. So I do know that I had the intellect to understand what was going on. Um, I don't think that he thought I would pick up on it, mm-hmm. at least that part of it. Mm-hmm. But that look uh, mm-hmm. clearly let him know that I knew what had happened and I understood. You can't play me, Lloyd. You can't play yeah, me. I'm on to you at four. And, and I used to get in trouble all the time for running my mouth. My mom used to tell me all the time, shut up, you talk too much. I don't know if I wrote this in the book, but she used to say, you talk too much. People that talk too much will wind up getting somebody killed. You did. You did. So I, I remember felt, reading that. Yeah. Okay. I, don't, I wasn't. Whew. And that's a scary part because I think a lot of us, too, tell kids all the time. Be quiet. Girl. Don't talk too much. Yes. So yes. I never want to give off the, I never want to give off to a child that their words could be the cause of something because the truth is the cause of it is the malicious. Maleficent devil that's doing these things. Mm-hmm. So you never want to perpetuate to a child that they're responsible for anything that an adult was doing. And at that moment, I did feel like it was my fault what had happened because mm-hmm. I was running my mouth. Let so me, no. I had to have that conversation because even as a four and a half year old, mm-hmm. I was feeling responsible for something enormous that had just taken place 24 hours ago wow can we put a pin there because we both had some light bulb moments yeah. as you were talking i had a woo. when you said you. that um i had a flashback to my childhood listen one thing i've learned about kids <laughs> i just put my head to the side that's why nicole is laughing i'm like okay i'm about to steal something but kids are with the exception of a few, but generally kids are so pure and their intentions are, are not jaded by this crazy ass world yet. So sometimes when they speak, it's truth and it's God given. Direct channel. And I remember being, um, I think I might have been eight, I think. And I remember saying something to my mother about her ex-husband before she married him. Um... And I won't get too long in this, but it was something like, mm, you need to watch him. I don't like the way Ooh. he's moving, mommy. Something like that. How something along the I was like eight, mm. girl, maybe eight or nine, girl. Right. And I remember my mom be like, Jessica, you're so young. Oh, Jessica, why are you saying like she just didn't, I guess didn't believe me or mm-hmm. oh, you in grown people business is mm-hmm. what they would say. Mm-hmm. You're a child. What do you know about the world yet? And lo and behold, years later, what I prophesized at eight came about. So sometimes when kids speak, and I don't know who needs to hear that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there it's a protective nature about kids too. That that it's so pure and it's not tainted. So don't don't shame them for and, for what they see. And Tanya, you definitely triggered like all of my childhood in this book. Not, I mean, with the exception of you know witnessing such a heinous and tragic you know yeah. violent event 
But I was told all the time that I talk too much, that I was fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make it a point to not do that to my precocious children who are very precocious because here's the thing. You're born and bred for the things that you need to survive. And mm-hmm. I feel like you were born and bred to not just survive this, but to help others come out of hiding mm-hmm. and to help them to thrive and to transform them because you wouldn't have been able to write this story right. with, the, with the soundness of mind and perspective that you did mm-hmm. had you been meek and, and silent and afraid. Like, you were endowed with the gift of, you know, that throat chakra. You were able to speak you know, to what was going on with mm-hmm. you. So when you hear adults and silence, too. that's what I'm saying, very eloquently, with detail. So <laughs> right. when you hear people silence children that way, you like yeah. you you don't understand how you could be crippling their future and their mm-hmm. destiny because these are gifts from God that they need to be able to navigate and move in the world. So thank you for accepting and surrendering to that God-given gift mm-hmm. of being able to speak, you know, and to to discern and to witness. These are not coincidental life skills. You know what I mean? And right, as right, I'm reading right. the book, I'm like, this is not a coincidence that she had these gifts, you know, and that you had the honesty from your mother. Like, even though she, you know, was into some things that weren't glamorous, she was able to be honest with you so you could be able to say, hey, let me not go there. Yeah. Let me steer away. Like, you knew the signs. Let me stay my ass at That's school. what I'm saying. <laughs> you, girl, that's a whole nother conversation. There's so many gems in this book. Let me, know, let me know what the circumstances could be surrounding this decision that you might make mm-hmm. on this lifestyle. Mm. Let you be very clear about right. what dropping out looks like or Oof. what teenage pregnancy looks like or mm, what crack mm-hmm, addiction mm-hmm, looks like. Mm-hmm. Be very clear if you decide this is the route that you go. Wow. But remember, she wasn't very judgmental. So it was more or less, it wasn't don't do this. It was, this is what this looks like. Right, yeah. this what you want to bring into your life. And you have a choice. That's amazing. You have a choice. That was a gift. Yeah. That was amazing. I'm going to jump to page 46 because we're going to talk about family because you so you know, detailed with your profile and your, your family profile. Like we know all of your family members from photos to family gatherings. Um, your, your, your family gatherings. Yeah. Listen, something else. Girl. Yes. When you said your mama was hitting cars to get out the way I was like, I was trying to picture how that looks, how uh, that looks in the backseat of that car. How about that? Oh my goodness. So on page 46, becomes she family. <laughs> Tanya says, family is the word that they used as a weapon to mm. hurt. And family mm-hmm. is the word that they used as an excuse for bad behavior. Family being bolded and italicized everywhere throughout the book. Yo. I like how you pointed that out. Yo. Like the word and what we think that She's means. such a G. I was reading this book like, she is a G. Mm. <laughs> Please unpack, like, just unpack for our audience what they should be expecting and how, how, so, how this plays out in your book. So this is the thing that I've also learned, not just about my family. You can call your friends family. Mm-hmm. You can call anybody family. But this is one thing that has struck me in this life, and my mom, of course, revealed this to me. She said, I'll use my aunt as an example. She said, you will never hear her say the words, I'm sorry. 
she said, truth be told, you won't hear many people in this family use the words, I'm sorry, even if they were wrong, even if it's proven that they were wrong in a situation. So instead of saying, I'm sorry, or I shouldn't have done that, or you were right, Mm -hmm. they would just say, we need to move past this. We're family. (laughs) Let's get together next weekend as a family. What are you trip? What are you tripping on? Yeah. This is family. This is family. Yeah. Sitting back as a child, and you're looking at mm. this is family, and replacing the words "I'm sorry." I'm, instead of saying "I'm sorry," let's get together next weekend. We're family. Let's get together next weekend. It was put in a place where you should be explaining or band-aiding a situation to Neil Sporn a situation to make it wow. better. Instead of healing mm-hmm. and improving, we were just covering it up with the word family. In your experience, and it has, I gotta know. it has gone on for years. Why do you think, why do you think people do that? And this is for both of you guys, Nicole and Tanya. Why do you think people choose Make the choice because everything is a choice, right? Why do you think people make the choice not to confront? Is it because it's easier? Is it why do people run and hide from issues versus saying, "Hey, let's talk about it"? I'll defer Tanya. I didn't re- write this book, Tanya. <laughs> I mean, the question just occurred to me: like, why can't we talk about it? Why can't you say, "I'm sorry"? Is it pride? Is it ego? Well, let's have a conversation. A conversation. <laughs> It's responsibility. Who wants to take responsibility for something that has gone wrong? Mm. Who wants to acknowledge that they're part in something that has gone awry? That hit my spirit. I just got chills. That hit me. And then when you and then when you acknowledge it, what do you have to do after that? You have to fix it. Now you look at the work that you have to do to fix whatever problem has taken place. A lot of people are lazy. They don't want to do the mm-hmm. work. The impact of that problem, yeah. The impact of that mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. is having to fix it and do the work. Mm. And people are lazy, and they don't want to have to do the work to either, you know, prove their honesty or prove their um, loyalty or prove their love. Trustworthiness. Because that just takes too much work. Trust what, I can take, trust you. Just take me as I am. Yeah. Right. Just, just take me as I am. I'm good enough. I'm mm. good enough like this. And back to my mother... That is something that she went along with. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to change this person. I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to go with it. This is who they are. I don't know if I will ever be able to meet up to those standards because I do believe earnest relationships have responsibility attached to them. Wow. Can you repeat that? Can you repeat them. that, please? <laughs> no, seriously. Earnest relationships, they do. They have a level of responsibility attached to them and your part that you play in them. In every single relationship, whether it's family, mother, daughter, girlfriend, you have a level of responsibility in that relationship to do your part, to bring the love, the honesty, and respect that you are Mm -hmm. required to provide to continue on that relationship. And that just might be too much for some people. 
That's heavy. That is very heavy. When you sit with that, yeah. you won't be around here trying to attach yourself to everybody, talking about everybody, my friend, everybody, family. My you friend. Would, right. You right. would restrict usage of that word to the people that you have the time and energy and emotional yep. capacity to be responsible to and accountable for. Oh my God. That's deep, Tanya. That, yeah. I mean, real relationships are, are real work. Even, yep. even you two have a mutual respect for one another. You have to have honesty with how you're going to conduct your business. Mm-hmm. When somebody decides that they don't have the mm. mental capacity to, to provide the honesty or the mental capacity to provide the support that you need in this relationship, whether it's work or family, it doesn't, it doesn't work right. Or at least somebody's losing out. Yeah. You, you actually, you talked a lot about, um, I'm, keep going. I'm going to wait. Oh, okay. Jessica had something. So uh, she's going to go after I say this. You talked a lot about the, um, emotional conditioning when it came to how female to female relationships were perceived, how there was a tendency for there to be some kind of shade sometimes and that the men could really do no wrong mm-hmm. um, and that the women let a lot slide underneath the radar, be it abuse, violence, emotional abuse, whatever. Um, can you get a little bit into that and peeping that at the age of four? Um, and Your how you four-year-old man. myself is my 30-year-old self. <laughs> That's like, what I'm what saying. I'm losing. <laughs> I'm losing, Tanya. So... Like, can you, can you like explain that to our audience so that they can get an idea of how, um, you rejected that conditioning. This whole book is a rejection yes. of your family conditioning, Tanya. That's crazy. Look, that, uh, along with my mother, um, after my grandmother got her divorce, cause she wanted divorcing Lloyd. I think that liberated okay. her also. Weird right? Lloyd. So you call him weird Lloyd. To- Weird Lloyd. Yeah, she calls would peep that guy, in the corner. Weird Lloyd, girl. Weird Lloyd. I'm going to send you another picture of him, watch. <laughs> they got their divorce. They got their divorce, and that liberated her. So, you know, when you're in that weird age where you're actually an adult, and the adults around you can start having honest conversations, and they're not mm-hmm. trying to hide nothing no more. Mm-hmm. My grandmother and I finally got to that point. This was after she was divorced, and mm-hmm. she realized I could drink wine, and we could talk. <laughs> so... <laughs> That part, that part. <laughs> so we would talk. And I there's a couple things. I'll unpack this one for you here. So I asked her why she divorced. One, she told me they were only having sex like twice a year. And that was not okay with her. Deal breaker. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. I was like, you're right, Grandma. I appreciate that. Kudos to you. Is there anything after and that? Then, <laughs> <laughs> so... With that, though, she we would also talk about her upbringing, mm-hmm. which I noticed even when I was a kid, she would say, you know, her mom didn't like her very much. Wow. I did not understand that at all. She was the only girl of eight kids, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand that. I would think, you know, you're the only girl. You should get cherished, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like that. She said, even when I was young, she said, oh, she called this. She called girls, my great-grandmother called girls a split. I remember that. I read that. And I I was like, a a what? And she would say, a split. And I didn't understand what that was. And she pointed to her vagina. And I I was like, I'm confused. Really? So should we call men? Never mind. Yeah. That word either. (laughs) But (laughs) being able to listen to my grandmother talk about how she had, she was powerless. She felt powerless growing up, um, how she was abused 
verbally by her mother. Uh, she felt ugly. Um, when it came to uh, situations with the kids, she was always wrong. Mm. Uh, and the boys were always right. Mm. Um, when it came to how she treated her kids, oh, she, that she always got the, yeah, the tail end of the a stick. And so with that, you know, mm. we went a lot more into her marriage and her, just her upbringing and how she used to do the boys. Mm-hmm. And I would see that as we would grow up, no matter what happened in our family, if it was a boy versus girl argument or situation, she always took the boy's side. Mm-hmm. Um, and the girl was wrong. And the girl was a little split or go sit your, you know, the names, the mm-hmm. heifers mm-hmm. and raggedy piss tail girls. And so those were the types of phrases that were used around us growing up and watching how whenever there's a conflict, the boys win and the girls need to shut up and go sit down mm. was a form of mental um, programming. Yeah, It was like, yeah. you already know if one of the girls has an issue with one of the boys, then the boy is necessarily is necessarily right and the girl needs to sit down and go shut up. Like, I have not seen that anywhere else besides my family where the, it ain't no trial is you're guilty. You need to go sit down and you need to shut up while he's talking. Wow. Um, there were some things that had taken Whoa. place within our family, um, some pretty violent things. And it always ended up with the woman getting either physically assaulted, um, or just completely shut down to, you know, to show preference to, to the males in the family. So, you know, that's one of those things where you sit back and you watch, and as a kid, you can't say nothing. What are you going to say? Well, you did woman, You did so. say on page 65. You did say on page 65 after a fight that happened on page 64. You got to read it, guys. You have to get the book. I'm not going to read the fight. But on page yeah, 65, yeah, on 65, you said, even at such a young age, I wondered what kind of mindset was she under to continue to be around people that not only harmed her, but will watch other people harm her. How do you even associate the word family with this type of violence towards each other? That's I'm what taking you said it a, at a step young back. Age. I'm taking, actually going to take it a step back <laughs> earlier in the book because now that you've explained that part of, of pretty much dismissing women's voices, mm, that's what it sounds like. Like you're yeah. not going to talk. It's what the man says, and that's it. When the when the violent act that is the I don't know the main the topic of this book happened and what your family requested of your mother after that, what she do to protect Bryce, the family, let's call him out. Yeah. Uncle B to protect uncle B. It's almost like, okay, it doesn't matter what the hell happened to you in front of your children. The impact of that while you're pregnant, you're going to do this. And that, that is that's doing the same thing as protecting the man and and mm-hmm. violating the women, mm-hmm. even though you're the one. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That dealt with the real trauma. Mm-hmm. Bryce didn't give a shit. He kept moving on with his um, life about anybody, about anybody or anything. Like yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah that that. So I, it it doesn't shock me now that that request was made of your mom, and I'm trying not to give anything away. So I'm you know talking around it, but it makes sense that that request was made. That she pretty much hush. Your book gave such an amazing energy context because I'm we're such energy people, Jessica and I. Like yeah. you gave us 
a profile of how this energy and how these spirits and this demonic activity Mm -hmm. was able to move through the bloodline Mm -hmm. so that when you laid out your story, it was so easy to connect the dots and to make parallels, even in my own life with some things that I've witnessed, which isn't as much as, you know, you've undergone, but I could certainly draw the, like, draw the lines and connect the dots like, wow, you know? And so, yeah. The thing is, too. And going back to, let me just say, going back to the murder and the trial mm-hmm. and what they asked of her, mm-hmm. if you go back to what I said earlier, instead of saying, hey, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry this happened to you, mm-hmm. I'm sorry you're going through this, yeah. it was, hey, do this for the family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The family was the currency. No matter what condition the state of the family was in, right. the family was the currency. Right. Hmm. Correct. On page 124, and I'm going to take it towards the end a little bit because, like I said, the whole book, page to page. Page turner, people. Page turner. Even the back with your picture on the back and you in front of that ocean or that water, even that caught me. Looking like a G. (laughs) Looking like a G. Like, I survived. (laughs) I'm still here. Right. Still standing. On page 124, and I, I am about to get married next year. And when I read this, I thought about my future family, the legacy that I want to leave behind. And I was like, okay, this, this, this is dope. Yeah. You say, as a parent, you have the option of allowing or disallowing certain things to be in your child's life. Sometimes you decide to step out of the norm and do things differently you are seen as someone that thinks that they are better than everyone else. Why can't she just go along with the program like everybody else? And the answer is, it's not an option. To give my kids the best chance for a stable future, I must make sure that they are not allowed to be exposed to the many unnecessary elements that intrude in my life. And I think... I don't have children yet, but the fact that I read that made me think about the type of parent and grandparent and great grandparent that I want to be. It's it's beyond today. Yeah. It's beyond tomorrow and it's it's looking ways into the future. What is this going to do for my great great granddaughter mm-hmm. and my great great grandson? And that is a level wow. of accountability and responsibility and maturity that not a lot of people get. Does that make sense? It be- It makes all the sense because she showed this force, the foresight that you, even with you going off to college, shout out to your granddad for getting you an apartment so you could do what you needed to do because he saw that calling of God on your life. Do you hear what I'm saying, Tanya? Amen. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? He saw it. And he invested. To a lot of people. Yeah. He invested in that calling that yep. he saw on your life. Despite all of the toxic patriarchy you endured, yeah. he was the Messiah through a man. Do you I, understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Can I get an amen on that one? Tanya, your book was amazing. I was at my work yeah. cubicle. And if you're listening, I was at my work cubicle. <laughs> Co-workers. Page turning. <laughs> Reading this book. Supervisor. Feeling some kind of way. Like God was all up and through these pages and working through you. You had a mission. You had to meet us. You had to get this story out. I, I agree. To these listeners, to anybody who would hear your voice. 
So we so appreciate you not being shut down for rejecting at every turn the program that was being forced, trying to force itself down your throat to your cellular DNA. No, the buck stopped with you. For real. Like I and I I thought that, I think that's very brave to recognize that hey Y'all good and all over there, but that's not going to affect me and my family in future. Now, my question for you is, Tanya, <laughs> when you made that, de- well, you and, when you and your husband made that decision. Come on, hubby. Let me, come on, hubby. Shut up, hubby. Come through, come through. <laughs> when y'all made that collective decision to uplift your family, right? Was yeah. it hard I guess I'm asking, was it a decision that was made lightly? Because to say that we're going to remove ourselves from a little of the dysfunction, we still here, but we not all the way here. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, is, is that hard to do? Because if, if family is all you know, and you're making the decision to say, hey, we're not going to be a part of that, is that hard or is it an easy decision? Because it sounds easy to say, hey, I'm not going to be a part of dysfunction. I'm just not going to do it. But at the same time, it's hard. What do you do at Christmas? What do you do at Thanksgiving? What do you do at birthdays? Like... You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's Family making a decision to picnics, stay away. Barbecues. But so with that, look, he he had started pulling back um, before I decided to just exonerate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He had started supporting me in whatever it was I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but saying I don't like this circumstance and situation every time we go this is what's going on mm-hmm. and keep in mind if things are a lot milder than they were even when I was younger so what he's saying now is still maybe 50 times better than what it was when I was a kid wow. right. so he would support me because he knew how important family was to me mm-hmm. and then he would just stop going he'd be like okay you guys go I'll be here when you get back I and am part of go, it and, and crazy stuff would happen and we would come back home and he was chilling and just having a good old time. Where I got a headache, I'm stressed out. We get phone calls about what done happened. Mm. And after a while, I was like, I want to, I like happy. Like, I, I like nothingness. I right. like to just yeah. enjoy the day without drama. <laughs> so we started, to, we started to opt out too. And with, you know, I kind of surrendered to my kids' uh, life, right? So, making sure that whatever was on their plate came first because mm-hmm. what was on the adult's plate wasn't really doing them any good. Yeah. I mean, they would have a little time with the family, but then we'd have to hurry up and leave because something crazy had happened. And now I have to explain to my oldest son why somebody got popped in the nose and the police showed up. Wow. Like that started getting, um, it started getting easier to make the decision not to, and it started feeling better when I would get the phone call about what happened, but I totally missed it because we were at a game or we were at some kid's birthday party and um, enjoying the day or just taking a nap. Being productive. So with that, right. So just really weaning myself off and starting to understand Mm -hmm. what was okay to go to Mm -hmm. and what wasn't Mm -hmm. and paying attention to when it's time to go. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a complete, like I'm out. I don't want a part of this. It was just like, Hey, you know what? It's, you know, people are starting to get a little liquored up, and I know what this looks like around five o'clock. So three yeah. thirty is looking good. We got something to do. I love that. Really being able to look at what works. I love that. Um, finding a comfortable lane to be able to have functional family time, right. um, or even just 
smaller events and going to people's house that we know is a safe place, mm-hmm. is a fun time, mm-hmm. and is drama free. And and showing kids, showing my children, being an example of what not just in family, but you're going to be in college, See? you're going to be in high school, you're going to be going to these parties. You need to know what it looks like when it's time to dip. Woo. You need to know what it looks like when it's time to cut the cord yes. and move on. You need to know what it looks like when you have toxic friends that every time you go somewhere with them, Woo. there's a mess. Maybe you just wow. don't go somewhere with them anymore. Can I give a so it was more than just church clap. Right. So Come on, mama time. It was Mother. more than just this family thing. It was like, let's talk about what life your life thing. looks let's like. Talk about let's the lessons. talk about what, let's talk about the message in carving out the kind of life that you want. Now, don't get it twisted. There are some people that just like chaos. I might have one of my four that decide um, I like I like it to be cracking all the time. So it doesn't matter what lessons I give off, they might make the decision to keep the homeboy that is always into some mess because they like that. Mm-hmm. But that's the decision, again, what my right. mother taught me, is that's the decision that you make and you have to be willing to deal with whatever that looks like. So if you know you have a, a friend that's always into some mess, you better be ready for to have to deal with the police on a regular Bell basis. Money. You better be ready to have to, to get suspended from school because it's um, mm-hmm. guilt by association. Mm-hmm. You need to be ready for those things. So <laughs> it wasn't really just a family lesson. It was a life lesson wow. and an example on how you can have a good time and how you can live the life that you want with mm. the environment that you want. Yes. If you like low-key, this is what low-key looks like. If you like it getting cracking, look, you can go over auntie's house on a regular basis. But this is what mom likes. So this is what, this is what we're going to do this week. Okay? So, yeah, it, was, it's, it wasn't easy. Truth be told, it wasn't easy. And even now with the book being out, it's a problem. Um, I don't see many of them anymore. Uh-huh. There are a ton that would say uh, unfriendly, blocky, which is fine. But I want to be very clear Sometimes that it bees like that. I have... It could be like that sometimes, but I do have um, a cousin of mine that, you know, she said, thank you for doing this. She had got taken in, into foster care when she was a kid. She thought, you know what? I thought that I was the only one that had ever been through anything like this. So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I've gotten family friends that have said, you know what? We always thought he was a pervert. So thank you for exposing mm. that we were not tripping. Yeah. We always thought such and such was a con artist. That's so dope. I appreciate you letting me know that I wasn't crazy. Wow. Um, and not only that, but these are the types of things that happen in many families. I don't yes, think yes, it anybody is. has yes. this many issues as I've had. But, you know, looking at um, just the realities of our world, we all go through stuff. But we get to make the decision at the end of the day mm-hmm. as to how we can move through life with the stuff that we go through. You're either going to keep it with you or you're going to trash it and get some new stuff. Wow. But we're always going to be going through stuff, and we have to be decision makers um, and in command of our own our own life and how it turns out and how it looks. <sighs> Tanya, you're beautiful. Thank you for showing us how that looks, though, in yeah. these pages. You're beautiful. And there's so much more in the book that we didn't get a chance to get to, like the relationship with your dad and the understanding you have with your dad but you know our listeners are gonna have to pick up your book because we're not gonna yeah we're not gonna lay it out for you you're gonna have to this book is amazing i agree it is a must read i agree this will forever thank be on you my bookshelf for surrendering home. to the call on mm-hmm. your life to get through these events with a sound mind for us mm-hmm. it wasn't for you you did this this was for someone that you never met 
It and was this, for us. There could yep. be someone listening to this episode right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't so know. I have you're... a question. Yeah. Yes. So I have a question for you guys. If you can understand this, <laughs> was I supposed to do that? I'm sorry. No, no I love it. It's just anything. It's just <laughs> so you can understand that, if you can take what you have gotten from the book, mm-hmm. understanding that I didn't do it for me, because I've already gone through it, that I've done it for other people, mm-hmm. what is it that I can say to my family or friends that don't like this kind of exposure, why this was important. Can you explain that to them? Go, Jess. Go. Um, <laughs> a couple of things came to mind. First being what people's opinions are of you is none of your business unless you want it to be. So... Two, don't take it personal because this was my, I'm speaking as, as Tanya, this was my experience. We could be going through the same thing, but still have different experiences within the same thing, if that makes sense. So this was my story to tell and not your story to tell. And you can choose to read it or not, but at the end of it all, this is still my truth. I love that. And to piggyback off of Jessica... Sure Speaking in Tanya's voice, as Tanya, I chose to reject the social conditioning. You may have not. So this story will offend you deeply because you're still there. You're still harboring this demonic activity. So there's nothing that I can say to you to convince you and neither will I try to convince you. And it's nor is it my job to convince you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I won't even try. So I'm you know, there's no rejection either way because my life speaks for itself. I've accepted the invitation to live on a higher plane. And I'm not harboring the same, you know, energy and darkness. So you're interpreting it as being exposed when it's really speaking more to the energy that you're still harboring. Right. So, I mean, I don't think that it's worth you even considering their opinions or their offense Nor because their I offense think... is coming from a wounded yeah. space that they're harboring. They're nursing this demonic activity. They're nursing this dark energy. They're nursing this... Whether they realize it or not. You know what I mean? And I don't think you owe anyone an explanation for your truth because it's At yours. All. You own it. Like All of they, it. Whether they see it or not is not your concern. Yeah. This was an amazing story of choosing and, and, and choosing to accept the invitation, mm-hmm. you know, to live higher and to bequeath a legacy <laughs> to future generations. And your truth is making the choice. I choose to live in my You've truth. You've deposited that legacy with us. You've deposited Girl. that legacy with our listeners and so many un, you know, unnamed people that we will never know. You've deposited this legacy. That has nothing to do with your family. Your family was just a vehicle. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Amen. Okay, I got it. My I got God. It. And I hope they get it. I appreciate that. If they never do, that ain't your portion. It ain't your portion. Mm. Tanya, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we will definitely be in touch. We're going to Cali. We're going, to, we're going everywhere this year. <laughs> Next year. Cali. Oh, I'm coming there. I'm coming there. Yes. <laughs> so 
um, we'll chat to you a little later. We're gonna end out the episode. And, thank you for um, your time. Thank and you your so much patience and reaching out to us and your stories. Seriously, yes. yes. This is so much better that. than you and Nicole and Jess. It is. It ain't about us. Mm mm. Not at all. Mm mm. <laughs> all right, girl. We'll talk to you later. Hey, thanks. You guys have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Ooh. These episodes just keep getting deeper and deeper. I wasn't. No one's ever asked us the question. At all. That's why. That's why. (laughs) You did. You perked up. We both did. (laughs) Can I just say one thing before we end out? Sure. There is a consequence to everything that we do, Mm. whether it be Mm. good or bad. Mm. And honestly, whew. Which actually ties into our next episode, um, November 14th. She Ooh. lives on purpose. And maybe that's why I thought about that. Who knows? Um, our next episode, wow. discussing the dangers of not being fully present and behind the driver's wheel of your life. I don't even want to go there because I'm still stuck on. Yeah, because Tanya was present at the age of four. Of cartoons and murder. At the age of four, Tanya was very present behind the driver's wheel of her life. Y'all, please go get this book. It is amazing. Because her story. There's so much we didn't even get into on purpose. But just know that she she experienced some stuff. And And she came through. Navigated well. This is a survivor story. Like, Mm. yeah. The name of the book again is called A Child's Memories of Cartoons and Murder. Tonya McKenzie, and we have it linked in our on our website podcast page. It'll be on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. Cop her book, and yeah. um, thank you again, Tanya, for just being beautiful because that's exactly what you, you have are. left a piece of you with us. That's for sure. Mm. And to her family, leave that girl alone. <laughs> First of all, like who are you? There are, you chose if you're choosing to stay where you are. That is your that's business. Anybody's family. You're right. Listen up. That's true. Toxic family family members are not your birthright. You were just born through a family line. You don't owe them anything. I you agree. owe God everything. Come on now. Accept the invitation to live higher. Accept the invitation to break generational curses. Accept the invitation to level up. Accept the invitation to bequeath an emotional legacy. Do you hear me? An emotional legacy yep. that you're your seeds can reap for years and years and years and years and years to come. And there you have it. And this is Nicole and Jess signing, signing out. out. Become, become she, become free. free.